This is Bobby Guy with the 10-Minute Health BizCast. This is album two, track two. This track was recorded live as part of the Healthcare Dealmakers Conference, which is continuing through the year as a digital experience. Amy Furch is the co-founder and COO of Ataya Medical, a med device startup empowering patients with the freedom to speak. She oversees the quality and manufacturing of their SpeakX communication system. She graduated from Georgia Tech in 2017 with a BS in biomedical engineering. Fun fact, she's also an escape room obsessive having completed about 50 escape rooms in 10 different cities, including some virtual ones during the quarantine. Amy, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Excited to be here. So, Amy, tell us about um, Atea Medical and what it does. Yeah, so at Atea, we have created a universal retrofitable communication aid for patients that have to wear hard plastic masks in the clinical setting. Uh, so this is primarily people that arrive at the hospital with any sort of breathing issue. The, the first line of treatment is to fit you with this non-invasive ventilation mask. It's really similar to a CPAP mask. It's hard plastic. It fully covers your mouth and nose and creates a physical communication barrier between you and the outside world. Uh, so we've created the Speaks, which is a two-part system um, consisting of a disposable patch, which just sticks on the outside of that mask, uh, pretty similar to a postage stamp and then is wired to our reusable component, which has a built-in speaker to output the patient's actual voice so they can communicate with their care providers and loved ones. So what was the genesis of your idea to start Ataya and to produce this product? Uh, so it actually started as our senior design project at Georgia Tech in spring of 2017. Wow. Uh, so myself, as well as Tyler Register, our CEO, and Amber Jackson, our chief uh, marketing officer, we were just undergrad students, and the way that Georgia Tech has structured their senior design program is they invite industry professionals in Atlanta to come in and pitch their problems. So that's how we were paired with Dr. Ian Wong, a critical care and pulmonology fellow at Emory, who had this issue he couldn't speak to about 30% of his patient population because they're all wearing this mask. Uh, so throughout the senior design semester, we found out that our prototype worked a lot better than we expected, and the problem was a lot bigger than Ian. So I'll tell you that in the midst of COVID, as we all wear masks, I've noticed it's really hard to understand what people are saying, not just from the mask, but, because, but also because you don't have any context on reading lips. So if we look at your, um, your product and what you guys are doing with this, how, how big is the application for it? And how difficult is it for doctors if they can't hear the responses of the patients? Right. So there's a three times more likely chance for patients who can't communicate, communicate to experience a preventable adverse event. So there wow. is this huge risk factor introduced when you have these patients that now can't communicate anything to you. And one of the original anecdotes Ian told us when he came to us with the project proposal was that they had a patient come into the ER in Atlanta and they, they came in off the ambulance already wearing the mask. They weren't stable enough to remove the mask and tell them what was wrong. And so they were processed through the ER. 
and into the ICU. And only once they had stabilized in the ICU was it revealed that they were HIV positive. So you now have this bloodborne illness that is processed through triage, ER, ICU, with no safety protocols taken because they just didn't know. Mm. So that's, that's a really extreme case, of course. But in general, you can see how now that it's COVID and we're having more trouble communicating with these masks on, and those are just fabric masks. You can see how frustrated everyone is. Uh, so imagine now that mask is hard plastic and it presses against your face really uncomfortably and you just can't tell anyone what's wrong. Let's talk about future plans for the company. Where do you see the company going in the next year, five years, or even 10 years? So we think we're on the, the precipice of great growth. We're anticipating a, well, we were anticipating a really exciting 2020. And we're thinking we'll see our great growth in 2021 um, because we started to place units in hospitals this year. So we're starting by placing the disposable in a wide net of hospitals and then really driving the purchase of the consumable once we have those disposables placed. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's going to be our big focus for the next year. Longer term, um, we're thinking the best route for us is an acquisition by a mask manufacturer. So someone like Philips or ResMed, Fisher & Paykel, those are the, the three big players in the mask space. Uh, this is already a heavily commoditized market. You see all of these products that are really intended to improve patient comfort. They have like uh, tubes you can put around the hose to keep the air warmer. They have humidifiers. They have different cushions you can attach. So it's all geared to improve patient comfort. And that's a huge play for us as well. So we've seen this as a successful pathway where the mask manufacturer will then come in and buy out the comfort improvement commodity and commercialize it as their own. So it's really interesting to me as we talk about the product that this really does help stop adverse events in healthcare. That's an inefficiency that I think I'd never realized even happened in healthcare before. It's been known but not really talked about a lot along the process. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely fair and, you know, in some way understandable. No one really wants to present like, hey, we're treating this many patients successfully, but also like we're having a negative event happen in X number of patients. I think the kicker is also really in the nomenclature. If you if you tell someone, oh, well, we had a preventable adverse event, it's like, well, why didn't you prevent it? Um, but there are so many barriers. But if the patient has no way to communicate to you, if their option is to pass out or say nothing, there's absolutely mm-hmm. no way you can prevent that adverse event with the current standard of care. So as you're going into production and um, and trying to distribute product to hospitals has the covid the covid quarantine and the the focus on creating ppe has this slowed down your production at all or has it actually been potentially an asset so it hasn't slowed down our production at all we're we're really fortunate to have um, some incredible production partners that have assured the supply chain is intact and safe and they can meet our demand Um, the biggest hit that we've taken as a result of covid is we were just getting um, about a month into the sales cycle, it's a three to four month sales cycle. We were about a month in and suddenly we weren't allowed to enter the hospital anymore. Wow. So, and then there was about a two month adjustment period where everyone was like, we're not answering emails. We're just taking care of COVID patients. Please leave us alone. Um, but we're <laughs> seeing that change a little bit too. We're all settling into our, our current state of existence and we're seeing some better traction now that we're, we're all acclimating to, to how it is now. Very exciting. 
So let me ask you one final question, Amy, as we think about this. And I, I love your energetic perspective on all of this coming out of Georgia Tech and seeing you know, the future runway on healthcare innovation. If you could snap your fingers and change just one thing about how we do healthcare in the U.S. from where you stand right now, what would it be? I think the biggest thing that I've found is I would like to see a shift in reimbursement strategy to be singular patient-focused. So we saw a huge shift in reimbursement strategy with the Affordable Care Act, but it, it still made it such that doctors were getting reimbursed more on quantity of patients than quality of care for each patient. And that's through no fault of the doctor. Like I I fully believe each doctor has the best intentions to provide the best care they can. But at the end of the day, you know, hospitals are businesses, they have quotas to meet, they have time slots to fill. And I think that's largely driven by our reimbursement structure. So I would like to see some reform in that area, de-emphasizing quantity of patients and emphasizing patient outcomes. Amy, thanks very much. Um, Great company, great invention, and uh, looking forward to seeing the progress on this one. This has been a live session of the 10-Minute Health BizCast, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks very much for joining us.